0: Well, I missed you guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with us today. I am really happy to be back with you today. You know, I am super grateful for the people who have set up our technical stuff so we can have online services. And I am very grateful when I'm ill that I can go to those online services. But man, I miss being with you people. I tell you what i I saw Faye Brown back there, and she said, uh, I'm here, I'm well. She said that while she was leaning against the doorpost, you know, for support but but I know she knows what I'm talking about. it is It's good to be able to come online, but it is better to be here in person, and I'm grateful that she is she is here with us, and I'm grateful to be here too. Yodi's still sick. Uh, I wish you were better. See, we, we crave your prayers. Uh, she can't seem to shake the fatigue and stuff, so uh, keep praying. And we got lots of others who are not feeling great. Um, you know people that if you had to summarize them, you could summarize them with one emotion. You probably can think of a person uh, who just kind of their dominant emotion is happiness. You know, they have moods, they go up and down, but, but their dominant emotion is, is, they're just happy. They're just happy. Right? And you probably know people that are kind of Eeyores. Their dominant emotion is just gloom. They're just, I mean, they, they get happy sometimes. They laugh occasionally, but their dominant emotion is just gloom. You know people like that. You can you're probably imagining some right now. Do you know any people whose dominant emotion is anger? You know, I know some people like that. I'm not going to point to any of you, but I know some people like that. And you do too, right? Just it's not that you don't have other emotions, you range, but 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 there are people whose dominant emotion, whose first kind of go-to move emotionally is always anger, right? Okay, I want you to keep that image in your mind and listen to these words. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give my body over to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs done to it. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Those are such beautiful words. That is such a sweet sentiment. I will tell you the times that I've used that most outside of the pulpit has been at weddings because couples always want that red, or very frequently want that red at weddings. It's a sweet sentiment. It's beautiful. It's poetic. Even in translation, even in English, it's poetic. And I want you to understand something. The man who wrote that The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was a violent, angry, rage filled man by nature. The Apostle Paul, if you just had this to go by, you know, just these words, 1 Corinthians 13, if you just had those to go by, You might picture him as kind of a sweet cherub, uh, you know, who just kind of drifts through life, a little out of it probably, kind of a hippie maybe, uh, who would say things like that. This guy, you have to imagine him, at least starting out, as a person of barely suppressed rage. And we're not just imagining that. He tells us that himself and the people that were closest to him tell us that about him. Luke writes about Paul when his name was still Saul. Back in Acts chapter 7 verse 57, Stephen, just for speaking the truth, is on trial for his life. And instead of concluding the trial, the people who are trying him just go nuts and lynch him, essentially. At this, the last words that he says, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They don't pass judgment. They just, this is a lynching, an extrajudicial murder. Acts 8 follows that up. And Paul approved of their killing him. That day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women. He committed them to prison. Verse 9 picks up the story again. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priests and he asked them for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul looks back on his life, and he says this about himself, and this is not the only time he makes this confession, essentially. He says, here... In 1 Timothy chapter 1, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds a personal note. Of whom I am the worst. I am the worst sinner there is. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I want us to understand just how far Paul goes in his life journey under the influence of Jesus Christ. Paul was an angry, violent man who was turned around By the love of Christ. We are looking right there on the pages of scripture at a messed up life. Now, he was angry in a self-righteous way. He says, in all of that time when I was living that way, I never saw myself as a sinner. I felt like I lived in all good conscience in front of the law during that whole time. So here's a person whose mode of righteousness before God was an anger-driven mode. That what's wrong with the world has to do with how sinful other people are. And my main way of feeling righteous is by feeling judgmental against other people. That's how we imagine Paul being. And he says it took Jesus coming into my life to turn me in a different direction. And he did it, Paul says. Jesus did that. And essentially what he's claiming in 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 15, he says something very similar. Galatians, he says something very similar. What he's saying is, if Jesus could do that for me, he can turn anybody around. Paul said, I know what my thoughts were like. I know what my heart was like. I was filled with rage. I didn't want to wait for God to punish people. I wanted to be the one to punish people. I wanted to see them suffer. And it's Jesus who made me into a different person. The series that we're, Jeremy and I are working on almost finished now, I think, but the series on love hard. Not the easy Valentine's Day love, but the hard job of love. What it's like to really do the work that love, true love, requires. Paul's a great example of that. Here's someone who by nature is not loving at all, And under the influence of Jesus Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit in him, he is transformed into a person who's able to do amazing acts of love and self-sacrifice for the ministry that Jesus Christ calls him to. If you have your Bibles, you can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here in a second. Right now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. It's on your study sheet if you have it. Paul says, this is what my life is like. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which was the Jewish law. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's the way the Romans punished you. Once I was pelted with stones. That's just an attempted lynching in Lydia. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believer, I have labored and toiled, and I've gone with, often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel it. Who is led into sin? and I do not inwardly burn. Paul says, this is what my life is now because of the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus was teaching Paul how to love even when the world made it very hard. This is the picture we have of love hard. The kind of love that Jesus had. The kind of love that Jesus showed the worst of sinners, Paul. He said, You can do this too. And called Paul into this life. Jesus told his disciples one time when they were very excited, because he said, Who do you think I am? And they said, We. Oui we know you're the the Christ, you're the Messiah. You bring in the kingdom. And he told them some things about what that meant, about him being crucified. And and then he said this to them. He said, and you realize if you follow me and I'm going to be crucified, and you, if you really want to follow me, you need to go pick up your cross. Pick up your cross doesn't mean wear a nice silver decoration around your neck. It means choose today that Jesus is so precious to you and the work of the kingdom of Jesus is so important to you that your life and your comfort and your glory in the world stops mattering very much. That what matters is just this one thing. Jesus. And that you're willing to die for that. That's what Jesus said. You and I didn't come into this job of being Christians with false advertising, did we? Jesus told us what it means to be a Christian. And here's Paul. Saying, this is what it's meant to be me. Now, your call to your cross. When I was a kid, I would hear sermons about this passage. And the preacher would often point the finger and and say, you haven't suffered nearly as much as Paul. I think that's really the wrong message from this passage. You're probably not going to suffer like Paul suffered. That's a rare circumstance what Paul went through. Jesus doesn't call you to Paul's cross. Jesus says take up your cross. There is something that Jesus is going to ask of you to be faithful to him and it's going to be a cross. Your trial may not look anything like what Paul's trial looked like. But there comes time in every Christian's life when you've got love on one side and you've got ease and comfort and safety on the other and you have to choose. And Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Paul was being trained day in and day out. Because he had allowed himself to be saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus' spirit was in him and making him a different man than he was, you know, by his personality, I think. He said, every church, every time I hear a problem in the church, I worry about it. I I lose sleep anytime somebody's weak and stumbling into sin. That's the way Paul's life was now. How did he have the strength to do that? We get a clue earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you can see one of the things that Paul says. This is is such a great passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look there about verse 7. You can follow with me. How come Paul had the strength to carry the cross he was asked to carry? he tells you a little bit here he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all surpassing power is from God and not from us he says you know we look like nothing on the outside jars of clay are the cheap jars right we're the cheap jars we don't we're not fancy porcelain we're not all painted and beautiful we're the we're the junk jars You keep in the back of your cabinet, right? That's what we are. He says, we have this treasure in the cheap jars, the jars of clay, so that everybody knows it's not us. It's God in us. He says, this is what our life is like. We are, he's talking about the people who are involved in this missionary work, the apostles and others. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our body mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving and overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Why do they not lose heart? He says, though outwardly we are wasting away. From the world's standards, we are getting weaker and weaker. It looks like we are losing. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is passing away, but what is not seen lasts forever. Amen. Paul was able to keep growing in love in spite of his own personality because of his growing certainty in the promises of Jesus Christ. He could love churches that didn't love him back. He could suffer trying to do good by preaching the gospel and receiving hatred as a response. He could suffer deprivation when his support dried up temporarily, labor during the heat of the day, so he'd have a few hours in the evening to preach the gospel. He could do all that, because he said, this world is not my home. I know what God is going to do with me when this world is done. Because I saw him do it. I know he's done it with Jesus Christ. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's passed through death into eternal life. And I know that Jesus Christ is going to do that for me and for all of us who have loved the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me draw a line straight to where you live from what we've just been studying. At some point in your life, if you've got a conscience, which we all do, at some point in your life, you've said something very similar to what Paul said when he said, I'm the worst sinner there is. You've said that to yourself. Or you've felt that. Every one of us have failed miserably and what we intended to do we didn't do what we intended to stop doing we kept doing every one of us have had that thought i am the worst if people knew what i was really like they wouldn't let me ever come back to church let me help you understand <laughs> What the story of Paul's hard love tells about you. Jesus Christ already knows the worst secrets you're hiding, He knows them. Jesus Christ already knows the stuff that you're hiding from yourself. He's already looked at it. He's already taken it out and examined it. And if you were the only sinner in the world Jesus Christ loves you so much that he would have gone to the cross just for you. And that's the truth. And what he can do for you is what he did for Paul. Paul. He took the worst sinner and turned him into a great lover. And wherever you are and whatever you've been and whatever is going on with you, whatever is happening, the next step is right there in front of you to yield yourself to the love of God and to say from this day forward I take up my cross. (coughs) I give myself to God. I want his will in my life forever. Let's pray. (coughs) Dear God, thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the love of Jesus that saves us and offers us this amazing grace and God help each one of us to believe that all the way down into the bottom of our hearts. Help each one of us to recognize that this is our true reality, living for your son Jesus Christ and making his love shine into the world. We pray these things in his name. Amen. If you need to respond to this incredible good news, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you need help or prayers, something that the church can do and it needs to be public, you can come forward. In just a minute, we're going to sing, Come Forward, Tell Us What We Can Do For You. You may want to talk to one of us privately, me, Jeremy, the elders, Uh, lots of people here that would be happy to talk to you privately. And today may be the day that you decide, I want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism. I want everybody to know where my loyalty is. I want to take his name. I want to begin a new life by being washed and burying that old life in the waters of baptism. If you want to make that choice today, now's a great time as we stand up and are led in song.